There are a few moments in life that stand out in sharp relief against all others. There were times when something happened, good, bad, or otherwise, and you remember right where you were or what you were doing. For example, I remember when Nisha told me she was pregnant with Zeke. I think I've shared this with you before. I was at Costco. And uh, Nisha worked for the Pregnancy Counseling Center at the time. And she thought that something might be a little hinky. So when she got in there that morning, she took a pregnancy test. And it tested positive for baby. So she took another one, and that one was positive too. And I was pumping gas at Costco when my phone rang. Now, you're not supposed to answer the phone when you are pumping gas, but I did because I was living dangerously at the time. I didn't have any kids, you see. But I saw it was Nisha, and I answered the phone, and Nisha told me that she was pregnant. And I said something to the effect of, okay, I'm pumping gas at Costco. Let me call you back. I am proud to say that I was not tempted to light myself on fire, at that time. It's an interesting phenomenon, and it doesn't happen all that often, where you experience something so life-altering that you remember exactly where you were and what you were doing. You remember how you felt. Maybe you even remember uh, smells or sounds that were around you at the time. There are some things that mark us. 20 years ago yesterday, an event took place that was so indelible, all of us in the room most likely remember exactly where we were and what we were doing. At 8.46 a.m. on 9-11-2001, a plane hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center. At 9.03, a plane hit the South Tower. At 9.37, a plane crashed into the west side of the Pentagon. And at 10.03, a plane crashed in a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And these are moments that we will likely never forget. Nisha and I lived in Arlington, Virginia at the time, three and a half miles from the Pentagon. Nisha was already at work in Ballston, a few miles from our house. I was at home getting ready to go into work, and I didn't watch the news at the time. I still don't really watch the news. I can be depressed all by myself. <laughs> so it was Nisha who called me in a panic and told me that I needed to turn the news on. And we lived in a house that the church owned, and the basement of the house was where the youth group met. We lived in an apartment on the ground floor, and then there were two floors above us where another family lived. And, and the, the woman that lived upstairs uh, shortly after knocked on the door asking me if I was watching what was happening. And she brought her son down, and she and I sat in my living room, and we watched the second plane hit. And we gasped and shouted. It was one of the most horrifying moments of my life. Nisha and I kept trying to call each other 
both in shock over what was happening, barely able to process what was going on, wondering what we should do. And I, I vividly remember sta- just finding myself staring at the television for just minutes at a time. And when the plane hit the Pentagon, I told her that she needed to come home. We weren't sure where we would go or what we would do, but I told her she needed to get out of there and she needed to come home so that we could do something, (laughs) even if it was huddle in a corner together. Jody, our neighbor, and I went outside just to see if we could see anything, and we heard a propane tank at the Pentagon explode. Living in Arlington, we were right under the flight path for Reagan National Airport, and so we stood outside and watched the sky, which was normally very full of planes, slowly clear. We tried to call our family to let them know we were okay, but so many people were calling the East Coast and the East Coast back that we couldn't get through. Nisha spoke to her dad yesterday, and he said it was the longest, one of the longest mornings of his life, waiting to hear what was going on. Nisha's uncle worked for the Air Force at the time, and he told us, just stay put, stay where you are. So like most of the country, we settled in in front of our televisions and watched. We saw the horror of people jumping from burning buildings. We watched in disbelief as those buildings collapsed. We heard the early reports of the bravery of those who took down the plane in Pennsylvania. And the feeling that I remember besides horror and nausea was knowing that the world was changing in front of my eyes. There are not many moments like this, either individually or as a nation, certainly. There are not many moments when you know the world will never be the same again. And for us, the world hasn't been the same. In Arlington, there were missile launchers on street corners. And there were soldiers standing in front of buildings with machine guns that you thought housed a floral shop. But to say that things were tense in that place was a bit of an understatement. Not only were we feeling great loss, but there was a palpable fear in the air. Because you see, all of us, whether you lived in D.C. or New York or here in Santa Rosa, the sense of security that we had been carrying around about ourselves and our lives was suddenly gone. And for the most part, we probably didn't even realize we had it. That's how much we took it for granted. But it was there as sure as the sunrise. We are America. We are untouchable. We are secure. And when that was taken away from us in those moments, we all of a sudden felt vulnerable. So we did what we do in this country. We banded together. We supported one another. And we tried 
our best as quickly as possible to show just how strong we are. There's a spiritual concept that I want you to wrap your mind around this morning because I think it's an important one. We would like to think that it is the blessing of God that ties us most securely to him. But that is not the truth. The truth is that it is not the blessing of God that makes us his. It is what happens in our struggle. It is the suffering, it is the realization that we live in a broken and fallen world, that we are not secure, and that we need something more than this that makes us understand we are citizens of a different kingdom. And the kingdom that we are citizens of is vastly different. than the one that we live in on this earth. There is an underlying story in the book of Acts that we could easily overlook. You see, God was doing amazing things in this new group of Christ followers. The Holy Spirit was empowering them left and right, and through the Holy Spirit, the gifts of God were being poured out on them, and and people were hearing the gospel and responding. And everywhere they went, lives were being changed. The world was being changed before their eyes. But in the midst of all of this blessing, There was a kind of difficulty that we cannot begin to understand because we have not lived our lives of faith within this same crucible. Those who were spreading the gospel had to deal with some incredible challenges. They were put on trial because of their faith. They were beaten and thrown into jail. They were continuously being accused of things they did not do. There were constant plots to kill them, some of which they narrowly escaped by climbing out of windows and running out of cities in the middle of the night. Stephen was the first to lose his life, but he would not be the last. And my point is that while we might want to make the book of Acts a story of victories, because it is, it is a story of victories in one particular through one particular lens. They are victories for the kingdom of God. But they are not always victories for those who are taking out the kingdom of God if those people are focused on what is happening to them. These victories came through the power of God and perseverance through great adversity by those who believed that the gospel had to go out to the world, but there was great cost in taking the gospel out to the world. And it is here that I realize that the blessings that were poured out were not given so that Peter or Paul or anyone would have a good life. The blessings were poured out to fuel the spread of the gospel. And guess what? Bad things happened to them because of that. In fact, you could argue that the more power God poured out on them, the harder their lives got. The more attention it drew, 
the more people rose up to stand against them. Now, Paul was someone who was tempted to base his identity upon his own strength and accomplishments because Paul had accomplished a lot when he was a Pharisee, which, which meant that his job was to know the law backwards and forwards, and he was good at what he did. He could answer any question, and, and his job was to enforce that law, and therefore when Christianity rose up, he took it upon himself to defend God by persecuting the church, and he was the point of the spear in the entire movement. When he became a Christian, it was Jesus himself who converted him on the road to Damascus. And then he became the mouthpiece for Jesus to the Gentile world. He had a lot to brag about. And he knew that he had a lot to brag about. But let's take a look for just a moment at his bragging. From 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 33. Or 21 through 30, I'm sorry. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. He's gone on before this to talk about how he's a fool. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, and get ready, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, which is a beating to the point of death, but not to death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers." I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This passage is a little bit of an odd flex by Paul. But he's trying to tell us something I think that is important. It is not necessarily the blessing that shape you into the person that God wants you to be. We are shaped into the people of God by the difficult things that we face. And listen, the victories are important. And the people of God will experience victories. Paul experienced lots of victories. But he comes to this interesting conclusion where he says, it is weakness 
the times when all of our security is stripped away from us, the times when we suffer and are given the opportunity to cling to Jesus, that is what makes us children of God. Paul could boast about his strengths, that he is Jewish, that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he is a Pharisee, that he is all of these things. He could talk about all that he has done, but at some point he realized it was not his strengths that proved God was with him or that he was doing God's will. Instead, it was the suffering that he went through. It was the struggle. And he came to this dramatic conclusion. If I am going to boast, I will boast in the things that show how weak I really am. He goes on to say in chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. There it is in as plain of a language as Paul can use. I am not strong when I stand by myself. I am not strong when I'm figuring everything out. I am not strong when I'm reveling in the blessings of God. And how good my life is. Instead, I am strong when all of those things are stripped away from me for one simple reason. When I am weak, I rely on the power of Christ. When I am weak, my eyes are not focused on this world, but on the world to come. When I am weak, I am not focused on myself, but on the power of God that I so desperately need in my time of weakness just to make it through to the next minute. When I am weak, that is the time when I have the opportunity to get out of my own way and let God do something with me. It is only when I am weak there that I am strong, and therefore let me boast about all the stuff I've faced, all of these awful things, all of these moments, because in all of these moments, I was reminded that I must cling to my God. For us living in the country we do at the time that we do, there are not many moments that shake us out of our sense of security and self-importance. But we've seen them, haven't we? When those planes crashed 20 years ago, we were forced to evaluate what it was that made us who we are. 
Four years ago, when parts of our city burnt down, we were forced to reevaluate what was most important to us and then evaluate that again and again and again. When the world shut down last year, we were forced to wonder if things would ever be the same again and what that might mean. And within our country, we are still fighting over what it means to be American, what it means to be free, what it means to be Christian in a world that we no longer can control. Isn't it funny that we thought we could control it in the first place? Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? But do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good for us to remind ourselves of this? It is. I had a different sermon planned for today. But the last two weeks have not been good ones for me. They have been filled with self-doubt and struggles and hardships within my family, arguments with people that I care about, and tremendous loss. And perhaps that question, do you feel the world is broken, has never felt more true to me than it has during these last few weeks. And all of this has increasingly weighed on me and at times made it difficult for me to concentrate on anything other than the very next thing that I need to do to get through the day. But it occurs to me that if I were simply a citizen of the United States, my response would be that I need to take all of the, that weakness and all of that moment and I need to hide those things and to push them down and away and to show how strong and capable I am, that I need to pick more fights on Facebook, <laughs> that I need to start more arguments with people, and I need to prove to everyone just how strong and capable I am. But my citizenship in this country is not my identity. Instead, I am part of a different kingdom. So it occurs to me that through all of this struggle and hardship that I'm facing, that perhaps there is an opportunity for me. That perhaps through all of this breaking down, that God will be strong. That perhaps through all of the awful, that God will be seen that through all of this hardship, I will remember, I will remember that this world is not all it says it is. 
but praise God that through Jesus there was a world beyond this one. And if there is one thing that times like these do for me, they take all of the shine off of this world and they make me long for the next one. I don't know if I can boast in my sufferings like Paul. I certainly haven't had to face what he has faced, but I know that I can pray that my suffering will help me to lift my head and see that God is the most strong in my life when I am the least capable. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain. Dip your heart in the streams of life. Let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy. As deep cries out to deep. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God who is beyond this place. God, we thank you for giving us an identity that is beyond this place. And God, we are grateful for the wonderful miracle that when we are broken down, you are strong in us. May our story, God, not be one of our strength, but of your strength in us. A strength that shows through when all other things are stripped away, when we are forced to get out of our own path. And we allow you, your power, to work through us. God, we thank you for Jesus who makes this kind of life possible. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.